Thank you for listening to the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas. It's late September 2020. President Trump's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court has set in motion a high-profile Senate confirmation proceeding. Judge Barrett's Catholic faith drew scrutiny during her confirmation hearings for a position on the circuit bench, and it will surely draw questions now because of the potential effect of this nomination, given the makeup of the court, on Roe v. Wade. In this episode, I, perhaps unwisely, take on both religion and politics. Specifically, I look at what questions and topics about Judge Barrett's religious faith are inbounds or out-of-bounds in her upcoming confirmation hearings. Year in, year out, the most controversial modern Supreme Court opinion is Roe v. Wade. Decided in 1973, it addressed a Texas statute that criminalized abortion and concluded that the law violated the Constitution's protection of the right of personal privacy. Roe is not the only strong voice in our society about abortion. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, paragraph 2271, Since the first century, the Church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say, abortion willed either as an end or a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. Any number of encyclicals, pronouncements, and so on further elaborate on this position, but the gist of it is crystal clear, as I just read from the Catechism, and however it is applied in its core, it is squarely contrary to the holding of Roe v. Wade. Judge Barrett makes no secret of her commitment to the Catholic faith. As a young woman, she went to a Catholic school in New Orleans, she went to law school at Notre Dame, and she has taught as a law professor at that school for most of her professional career before she became a federal judge. A natural question, then, is what role her Catholic beliefs, which include, as we just reviewed, a specific position that is contrary to a leading Supreme Court case in the area, are properly considered in our upcoming confirmation hearings. There is one line of questioning that's clearly out of bounds, and that would be to engage in religious debate about the merits of Catholic theology and its teachings. The First Amendment separates church and state, and the Senate simply has no business passing judgment inquiring into matters that are clerical in nature. Closely related would be bad misstatements of Catholic theology. While it has largely gone away in recent years, there's a long and ugly tradition of anti-Catholic propaganda in this country, fueled uh, historically by the waves of immigration from Ireland and Italy in the 19th century. And resurrecting any of that now, particularly in the polarized state of the nation, is a very unhealthy thing to do. It is particularly so when a majority of the justices now on the Supreme Court are, in fact, Catholic. Chief Justice Roberts, joined by Justices Thomas, Alito, Sotomayor, and Kavanaugh. There's simply no place for Catholic bashing in our modern society, and those who may choose to engage in it as part of this confirmation process are only undercutting their own credibility and not that of Judge Barrett. In reviewing the history of why anti-Catholicism has faded out in our modern society, it's worth noting that a major blow against it was dealt by John F. Kennedy, a committed Catholic, when he ran for the presidency in 1960. He said in a well-known speech in Houston, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who happens also to be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. Remember that quote. I'll refer back to it later in discussing a specific issue about Judge Barrett and her scholarly writings. With that background, is there a place at all in these confirmation hearings for the topic of religion, in particular Catholic teachings on the issue of abortion? Remember that the confirmation hearings involve sworn testimony in public. They are not trial testimony, 
but they're pretty close to it because of those properties. We can then look to trial and look at the rules and customs that have built up around it and see two principles from trial practice that are helpful to us here. First is the idea of cross-examination for bias. We're talking about Supreme Court confirmation hearings, so it's worth taking a look at what the Supreme Court has to say about it. It made a powerful statement about this aspect of testimony and examination and its opinion of Alford versus State back in 1931, stating, cross-examination of a witness is a matter of right. Its permissible purposes, among others, are that the jury may interpret the witness's testimony in the light reflected upon it by knowledge of his environment, and that facts may be brought out tending to discredit the witness by showing this testimony in chief was untrue or biased. Related principle from the courtroom is called opening the door. It's an idea often cited and talked about in cases about the law of evidence, but it's rarely defined with very much precision. The basic idea is if a party in a trial wants to raise an issue, then that party cannot later be heard to object when the other side also wants to talk about that same issue. Litigation about this point often involves examination of just how specific that first mention of the topic was and its effect, whether it created some impression that could potentially be misleading if not corrected. If it is a specific point and it is uh, not the final word on something, if standing alone it could perhaps be misunderstood, generally the witness is held to have, quote, opened the door to that testimony uh, in rebuttal. I mention these principles of evidence law because they tie directly to Judge Barrett's first Law Review article as a professor. It was published in the Marquette Law Review in 1998, co-authored with another professor, and it was titled Catholic Judges in Capital Cases. And the introduction says, To anticipate our conclusions, just briefly, we believe that Catholic judges, if they are faithful to the teaching of their church, are morally precluded from enforcing the death penalty. This means they can neither themselves sentence criminals to death nor enforce jury recommendations of death. Whether they may affirm lower court orders of either kind is a question we have the most difficulty in resolving. The article goes on to discuss in great detail Catholic teachings, the federal law of recusal when a judge steps away from a case, and other points of both religion and law. And in that discussion, it mentions the confirmation hearings of Supreme Court Justice William Brennan also Catholic. He was asked if he could follow his oath in cases where matters of faith and morals interacted with matters of law and justice. His words in response to that question at his hearing went as follows. Senator, I took my oath just as unreservedly as I know you did, and there isn't any obligation of our faith superior to that. In my service on the court, what shall control me is the oath that I took to support the Constitution and laws of the United States, and I shall so act upon the cases that come before me for decision that is that oath and that alone which governs. Recall the quote from President Kennedy that I referred to at the beginning of this episode. Justice Brennan's comments sound similar. Then Professor Barrett and her co-author in the article I just mentioned observed about Brennan's words we do not defend this position as the proper response for a Catholic judge to take with respect to abortion or the death penalty. They go on from there to discuss other issues of procedure that come up involving Catholic judges serving in cases involving capital punishment. Contrast is striking. President Kennedy's and Justice Brennan's answers are very similar to the question of the interplay between religion and public policy, and the answer of Judge Barrett and her co-author in this article is to question whether that is valid for a judge confronted with a stark contrast to Catholic teaching. 
This article formed the background for Senator Feinstein's uh, somewhat inartful questioning at Judge Barrett's confirmation hearings for her position on the Seventh Circuit. In her questioning, she used some very awkward language, the phrase, the dogma lives loudly in you, got picked up on and has been uh, widely quoted, and as Judge Barrett's name has come to the fore as a Supreme Court nominee. In response to her questioning on this topic, Judge Barrett noted that when she clerked for Justice Scalia, Catholic, on the Supreme Court, she did discuss capital punishment issues when she served as his law clerk at the beginning of her career. If we return to the trial law concepts that we talked about before reviewing Judge Barrett's writings, the idea of cross-examination to explore potential bias and the idea of opening the door, there is a good argument that these issues, as discussed in her article, are legitimate areas for examination. They deal with her view of what informs her judgment on certain issues courts are asked to deal with, and she has publicly written a detailed statement about how she believes that religious beliefs inform the appropriate action of judges when confronted with certain legal questions. That then leaves us, given that the topic appears to be germane to her qualification to the Supreme Court, with two challenges for the upcoming hearings on this topic. Recall that Judge Barrett said that a trial judge should not sign an order that would lead to execution, while a Catholic lawyer could serve as an appellate judge reviewing a case in which capital punishment was an issue. The question for her then is, why draw that distinction? A trial judge, while confronted with a serious moral question in that one case, is nevertheless dealing with just that one case to apply settled law to that one case. How do you distinguish that situation from that of an appellate judge or a Supreme Court justice who is working to form the law that will apply nationally to all trial judges, Catholic or non-Catholic, all of whom must then apply that then-settled law to the individual cases before them? Certainly, you are not signing an order that affects one person directly, but you are indirectly influencing the entire nation's set of orders through your work, and that's an important distinction that she will have to explain and have to explain in religious terms, given the way she framed the issue in her article. For the Senate, the challenge will be, in exploring that question, which is relevant and germane, it must be mindful that, as President Roosevelt said about the presidency, it's a bully pulpit, the eyes of the nation will be upon them, and they must be careful to not backslide into anti-Catholicism. My hope is that by remembering this is an exercise in public sworn testimony like a trial, and by focusing on well-developed ideas from the law of trial evidence, the identification of bias through witness examination, and the idea of opening the door, exploring those open-door topics, but then going no further, Perhaps everyone involved can examine these issues in as tasteful and dignified a way as will be possible given the great scrutiny upon them. The Senate owes it to itself to fully investigate the question raised in her scholarship about the distinction between a Catholic trial judge and a Catholic appellate judge, Supreme Court justice. The Senate owes it to the nation to do so in a way that does not disparage the Catholic faith. Today on Coal Mine, we looked at the role of Judge Amy Coney Barrett's religion in her confirmation hearings, particularly the potential conflict between Catholic teaching about abortion and the Supreme Court's 1973 opinion of Roe v. Wade. 
Judge Barrett's scholarly writing on that precise issue back when she was a law professor opens her to questioning uh, that may not be in bounds for a different candidate. In the law of evidence, we would say that her writing had opened the door to discussion of that issue. It will be a challenge for the Senate to examine that issue and satisfy itself as to Judge Barrett's qualification and her avoidance of unreasonable bias, another concept from evidence law, but to do so in a way that does not resurrect old and unhelpful anti-Catholic tropes that have long since been laid to rest in our modern society. I would like to thank Amy Howe of SCOTUS Blog for an excellent background article about Judge Barrett that appeared on that website on September 21st of this year, including links to the articles quoted in in this episode. Uh, Upcoming episodes of this podcast will address further issues that will be raised in these critical confirmation hearings critical for the future of our Supreme Court. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and the other main directories, including Amazon, when it brings the podcast fully online. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.